This is the Stories of Transformation podcast, and I'm your host, Bakta Shahadi. Each week, I dive into deep conversations with distinguished guests who share their unique stories about how they overcame hardship, learned their craft, and found their purpose. These conversations are meant to expand perspectives and share voices of diverse identities. How do you find a sense of home and belonging? What does it mean to explore your inner landscape? How do you forgive yourself? And what does it mean to accept oneself? These are some of the questions that I explore with Najwa Zabian in this episode of Stories of Transformation. Najwa Zabian is a Lebanese-Canadian activist, author, speaker, and educator. Her search for home was central to her early years as she struggled to find a place in the world. She shares how her upbringing shaped her worldview and how she eventually decided to no longer wear a hijab in order to forge her own sense of identity. As someone who spent her life aching to be loved and validated by others, Najwa is now able to teach others how to build a strong foundation of self-love, self-acceptance, and self-awareness. After self-publishing her first collection of poetry and prose in 2016, she went on to sell over 250,000 copies of her three books. She just recently launched a digital school entitled Soul Academy and a podcast entitled Stories of the Soul. In our conversation, Najwa reads a poem for us from her newly published fourth book, Welcome Home, A Guide for Building a Home for Your Soul. You can find a link in the show notes to get your own copy. It's well worth it. The book's fantastic. I just want to close by saying that I found Najwa's message and story to be inspiring, authentic, and tender. I hope you appreciate her story as much as I did. If you found this conversation to be moving, please share it far and wide. So without further delay, I bring you Najwa Zabian. Najwa Zabian, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you asking. Najwa, it's wonderful to be in conversation with you today. I'm really excited about what will surface between us because I think the way you kind of share your thoughts with the world and your writing and your speaking is remarkable. It's nuanced and it's gentle and it's actually what a lot of people really need. And that's kind of how I found your work. And I'd love to talk to you about that. But what I'd love to do is a, is a way of kind of starting a conversation is asking you in your own words, how would you define who you are? It's interesting that you ask me that question because that's the first question I ask in my podcast. I say, who are you? <laughs> Without any labels, who are you? I see myself as a human who spent her whole life wanting to feel loved. So I see, I see a person in search of love. And very recently, since I've made the realization that we should build our own homes within, we should stop building homes within other people, I would say I'm, I'm a human who has realized that all the love she ever needed is actually within. And it's actually readily available to me. So I would say currently I'm a person who is learning the practice of giving my love to myself as opposed to defining my worthiness of love by the love that the world has to give me or by the love that the world doesn't have to give me. That's like on a very, very personal level of defining who I am. I also see myself as someone who feels deeply and who aches at seeing other people aching And part of that ache is genuinely wanting. I feel like the need 
to help someone up is literally part of my nature. It's not something that isn't part of who I am. So that connects to all of the work that I do. And I didn't prepare for this answer, by the way. So you got like a very raw, <laughs> uncut <laughs> answer. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I, I, I appreciate that. And so what well, would be really great, Najwa, is if you could talk about how your upbringing kind of shaped and formed who you are today in terms of your Lebanese, Canadian background, and basically how that kind of shapes how you think of the world and really how you give meaning to your memory and kind of just unpack what that's all about for us. So I was born and raised in Lebanon. I lived there for 16 years, visited Canada here and there with my family. And I like to speak about that part of my life while being very kind and compassionate towards everyone who was in my life. Because I think the first thing that people think when you talk about your childhood is, oh, she had awful parents, or how could they? But I don't see it that way at all. I see that my parents did their absolute best to love me the way they thought I needed to be loved. And they did in their own way. I remember distinctly being very young, but also being very aware of how sensitive I was of my surroundings, of how sensitive I was towards people around me, towards the way that people spoke to me. I remember feeling much older than my age. I remember looking at kids playing while I was a kid and thinking, that's so childish, that's so immature, <laughs> because I grew up around adults. So my parents had five children in Canada, then they decided to move to Lebanon, and eight years later I was born. So all of my siblings are much older than me. They were adults when I was two or three years old. But there was the, the age gap between me and them and the age gap between me and my parents amplified that feeling of, I need to skip steps in life to get to where they are. So I felt like I matured a lot earlier than I needed to. And I was also, this is important. We don't, we don't think that it's important, but it is. I was the youngest in my class, so most of my peers in my classes were like a year or two older than me. So that amplified it even more. There was always that need to be the best that I could be because I could see my siblings getting to certain stages in their life. Like my sister got married when I was three or four. I remember being very young uh, and witnessing that. And, you know, my dad was very much into politics and philosophy and, you know, ethics. And, and, and he was a man of, you know, integrity. And I would see how the public respected him. And I always looked up to him. Like I, I, and my mom was this hardworking woman who taught full time. She raised us. She cleaned and cooked and did everything that she was like superwoman. And I'm seeing all of this and I'm thinking I need to get there somehow. All the while being very sensitive to how emotionally overwhelming all of that was, experiencing all of that was. But, you know, as a child, you don't know how to put words to it. You just feel it. You, you feel this sense of inadequacy, but you don't know how to say, I feel inadequate. You feel a sense of 
thirst for something, like I want to be part of something, but you don't know how to say it. You, you just, there's a part of you that feels like something is wrong, something's missing. And what I missed, what I was missing, was the feeling of relevance to someone, the feeling of being loved by someone in a way that I needed to be loved. And, you know, with age, I've come to realize that it's, it's a feeling of home. It's the feeling of you're okay the way that you are. You are lovable the way that you are. And you don't have to fight for that love. There's nothing wrong with you. Your sensitivity doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. Because I always got told that as a youngster. You know, not directly by my parents, like something's wrong with you for being sensitive. But it was more like I internalized that something was wrong because no one really validated that. So... Wanting to be the perfect girl that I was raised to believe I had to be, I didn't even think I had the right to say, you know, I need something. I need to feel loved. Yeah. So, Najwa, how did you come to the realization that you had to share your thoughts out loud? Like, how did it come to a place of manifesting your thoughts on paper and, and finding the language to kind of express the things that you were feeling most? How did that all take place? So on my 13th birthday, a friend of mine, her name is Maryam, she gifted me a handmade journal. And that's when I started like writing out my feelings, really writing out my feelings, you know, talking about everything that I was going through, everything that I was experiencing on a day by day basis. And it felt like the first time in my life where I actually felt free because I wasn't writing for anyone. I was writing for myself. No one was reading this. No one was aware of this other than me. So I'd write in that journal every single day. It very quickly became that home that I was looking for. And then when I turned 16, it was actually on my 16th birthday that I came to Canada to visit my family for the summer. And everyone had been here at that point, except for my married sister, who I was living with at the time in Lebanon. So my mom and dad and my other siblings were here and came to visit them. The plan was to come for a couple of months. It was the year right before my grade 12 year. So it was a very important year. And I, I get here and then the war breaks out in Lebanon. And then there's that choice of, do I stay here and do grade 12 and then go to university? Or do I wait to see what happens and then go back? And so it just felt like the right thing to do was to stay here. And it didn't really feel to me like a choice because I was very aware that if I went back, you know, the country just went through war and my whole family was here. So it felt natural to stay. So I stayed and I didn't fully understand how detrimental that was to my sense of self until probably the end of my first four years of university, until the end of my bachelor degree, because I was just in survival mode. I remember feeling like life was in black and white. Like I I was doing so well in school that no one even sensed. And I spoke perfect English. So no one even sensed that, oh, maybe she came from a different country. But I did, you know, and everything was new to me. Not the language, but the expectations, what's acceptable culturally, what's not acceptable, what's what's not acceptable back home that's acceptable here, what's... It was like a shock that I didn't really fully understand how 
it manifested in my life until I became a teacher and had my own students who came from a different country where I was like, oh, I didn't heal that. Like, I didn't heal that 16-year-old girl who everything felt like it just happened and I had to adapt. And I, instead of feeling through the adaptation, I numbed through the adaptation and didn't really adapt. Like, I adapt on a superficial level, convincing myself that if I learned how things work here, I'm fine. But the thing is, I never fully felt like I belonged because I had no idea who I was as a person. Who I was was a reflection of what others saw in me. And by others, I mean my family, the community that I belong to culturally and religiously. That's who I thought I needed to be to be okay. But was I okay? I wasn't because I didn't even give myself permission to think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I understand. And so how did then people in your life perceive you? How did they understand who you were? And give us an an idea in terms of how they saw you and who you were in terms of uh, who you were in their eyes, so to speak. People who knew me at that point in my life know that I was probably the closest to the perfect image of a good girl, good person. Like I was, I was just, I never hurt anybody. I followed the rules. I never gave my parents any trouble. I never, I just, I followed the rules that I thought I needed to follow without even asking myself, like actually myself, (laughs) like that inner self that I just described to you at the beginning. Are you okay with this? I didn't even think that I had a choice in that because I based my worthiness as a person and not just my worthiness of love, my worthiness of anything, my worthiness of someone saying you're a good person, my worthiness of someone saying you're you belong here. I based all of that on how the outer world saw me, not how I saw myself. The way I saw myself was this girl in a constant run. Like there's no, there's no end to this race. I can't even see the finish line, but I have to keep running to continue proving that I deserve to be loved, that I deserve to be part of something, that I deserve to get a job, a certain job, that I deserve to be looked at as a good person. And when you decided to take that step and and kind of really have a sense of agency and and really decide what you wanted to do with your life next. How did people, how did that land with people? How did they kind of take that? So once I made that decision, it wasn't easy. There are people to this day who will tell me things like, you know, you changed, you were much better before. And they specifically talk about culture and religion, like following a certain set of rules. And, and I have to remind myself and remind them that my faith is very personal to me. And, and you know, the, the comment that I get usually is regarding, you know, I used to wear the hijab. I wore it since I was in grade seven. And I stopped wearing it uh, three years ago. I actually just turned 31 last week, but I, I took it off uh, when I was 28 years old. 
So that was part, like wearing it and continuing to wear it was part of embodying that perfect image of a good girl that said, I follow the rules, I do the right thing. You know, I'm a good person, you have nothing on me. And so part of taking it off was, I never felt oppressed. I never felt like it was the wrong thing to do. I felt oppressed anytime someone looked at me and said, you wear that, you must live a certain life because that wasn't true either. I just hated the fact that the moment I gave myself permission to ask myself, who am I and do I actually, like if I were right now to take an inventory of my life and how I'm living it with everything, including the way I dress, including the way I speak, including my education, my work, all of that, would I make that decision knowing who I am right now? And that was one of those questions. And the answer was, I no, I wouldn't wear it now knowing everything that I know. I don't define my goodness as a woman, as a Muslim woman, as a human by what I wear. I simply don't. And I understand that many people see that as a fundamental element of the faith. But I always say, Faith is so much more vast than appearances. Just because you can hide something on the inside, you can hide a certain, what, whether it's like envy or backbiting or whatever it is, like those are major things that just because they're hidden, it doesn't mean they're not there. And it's the same thing with saying like, if you don't look that way, if you don't dress that way, then something is missing and something is wrong. It's not right for a person to say that. So when I still get those comments, like again, the hijab was part of breaking down that image and saying, I'm going to be who I actually am and I'm going to live how I actually believe my most authentic life looks like. And when I get comments like that, it's very tempting to, to jump into defense mode. I don't jump into defense mode anymore because I say, you think I was better because that version of me served you better. Not necessarily served you better as in you got something out of me or no, maybe it served the narrative that you tell yourself about your life and what it means to be a good person mm -hmm. that maybe it tells you that, you know what? you could actually, you have a choice in this. You could think about this more. Maybe you're wrong. What was it like specifically for your parents? Like, how did they understand what you were going through in terms of taking off the hijab and kind of just having a sense of ownership over your own life? What was that like for them? If, if you could share, that'd be really great. Yes. I remember my mom, for example, her biggest worry wasn't me wearing it or taking it off. Her biggest worry was, what are you going through to get to a point where you're feeling this sudden urge to take it off? Like, are you going through something? Is there something I need to know? That is concern. And that is legitimate. But to come and say, you're making me look bad or you're making us look bad, that's all about you. It has nothing to do with caring about me as a person. Right. And, and what you're sharing is like the difference between somebody who actually cares about your well-being versus somebody who is being critical of what you represent according to their standards of what they want for their community. What I'd like to do at this point, Najwa, is to kind of pivot and, and talk about your latest book, Welcome Home. And if you could tell us about the origin story, how it came about, how you kind of think about it, and, and we'll take it from there. Yes. 
So very quickly, the story of how Welcome Home came about. Um, shortly after I self-published my first book, Mind Platter, I got asked to give a TEDx talk in London. And the theme was, it's about time. And that was like the first time in my life that someone asked me to take a stage and a stage that that is that big. There were 500 people there. And I remember thinking, what is it about time for? And Mind Platter was all about, it was my journal. It was my journal entries. It was all about feeling your feelings and you're not alone. And there's people out there who feel the same way. So I thought it's about time to feel. And so that was the first time in my life that I put something together where I was so vulnerable that I, you know, shared my story in a way that I'd never shared it before. So I titled the talk Finding Home Through Poetry. And it was to explain how writing, writing was what brought me back to myself. And I wrote this speech and I rehearsed it for like six months. And I get there and it flies out of my brain. And I'm like, you know why? It's because you are not the kind of person that memorizes this speech. That's why I didn't even plan for this interview. I don't plan for things that have to do with emotions and feelings because it takes away from the realness, you know? It takes away from that raw element that you can't capture if you've prepared for it. So I said to myself moments before I went on stage, Nejwa, just say what your heart needs to say. And out of nowhere, as I'm speaking, these words come out of my mouth where I say, I realize that the biggest mistake that we make is that we build our homes and other people. We build those homes and we fill them with all the love and care and kindness and respect that we want to come home to at the end of the day because we think I'm putting it in there and I'm, I'm going there at the end of the day. So it's, it's a good investment. And then when those people walk away, those homes walk away with them. And that's why we feel so empty when someone leaves or takes away that sense of safety that they provided us, that sense of belonging that they provided us. And I said that emptiness doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. That emptiness is legitimate because you literally placed so much of yourself inside of someone else. But it doesn't mean you were stupid. It means that you were building something with someone. You were building something within someone. And that's not where you need to focus. The focus shouldn't be on, give me back what you took from me. The focus should be on, if I was able to give that love and care and kindness and compassion and everything to someone else, I'm the source of all of that. If I was able to give it out to someone else, that means I can create more of it and give it to myself. Yeah, I think it's great. It, could you talk about the the name Welcome Home? How did you how did you come about choosing this name? I think it's I think it's fantastic, and it, and it really captures a lot of what you're really sharing with the world. So, how did you go about um, finding this name? I think it's uh, I think it's great. So the idea initially was, you know, I'm going to write a book about letting go. And I was, we were sitting, me and my agents um, in a coffee shop. And this was like the first time we actually met in person. And I was telling them, you know, I want to write a book about letting go and, and letting go of people, letting go of, you know, places and jobs and careers and all that. And I, but I can't find the title, you know, like the title isn't coming to me. And, you know, like four years ago, 
I gave this talk on building homes within other people and literally that same day I got the title and it was Welcome Home. Because I could see a house and I could see rooms and they looked at each other as I was speaking and then they looked at me and at the same time they said, that's the book you need to write. So you see that book was there because it was genuinely, like authentically what I needed to write, what I had been needing to write since 2016. But because it felt so personal, it was, you know, just something that I was working on. It wasn't, to me, it didn't come apparent, like that's that's the kind of book that I need to put out there. And literally everything, you know how they tell you when the universe, like when you ask the universe what you want, it starts opening doors. Everything since that moment went, that's it. It served the purpose of welcome home being out in the world. So... In addition to those rooms that I just talked to you about, I walk the person through, where are you now? Like, where are you in your healing? Because every person is at a different place and it does you no service to start at a place where I think you are. You have to start wherever you think you are. So the first chapter where they contemplate that is the road to home. How do you build, how do you pave that road that leads you to the land on which you will build your home. And then after that, the, the contemplation of, you know, when people tell you things like, or maybe you go through this, you're like, I know, I know what I deserve, but when it comes to my story, when it comes to my life, I'm always the one who's like, you know, but I know better. And, and I understand where this person is coming from. Like you, you know so much, but you don't apply it into your own life. But if you were sitting with a friend who's telling you the same situation, you know, you're the best, you're the expert at giving advice, but not in your own life. And so that the missing piece for me that I needed to include in Welcome Home was you can know everything that there is to know. You can have all of those rooms within you for self-love and forgiveness and all that. But if you don't have it on a solid foundation of self-awareness and self-acceptance, again, knowing who you are and being aware of how you came to be and being aware of why you react the way that you react, that solid foundation is what keeps your house together, your home together, you together. So... Welcome home is the best thing I've put out into the world up to this point. And I just know it's going to transform so many lives. So for anyone listening, it's literally a guide that will help you build that inner sense of I am my own home. I come to myself for the love that I need. I don't need someone to define for me who I am. I don't need someone to answer, respond, apologize, admit that they made a mistake or anything for me to feel like I'm whole and I'm okay. So that's welcome home. Yeah, that's beautiful. What would be really great, uh, Najwa, is if you could read a poem from Welcome Home. I think it'd be a really, uh, really great treat for all of us that are listening to hear one of your poems and get a taste of uh, what your poetry is all about. So would you do us the honor? Yes. So this is from the surrender chapter in Welcome Home. And it, this poem specifically describes endings in the middle of stories. 
shocks and surprises to the happy endings we thought we would have with others. What might feel like them ending the chapter in the middle is truly their pen running out of ink, their heart running out of love for you, their home running out of space for you. But how beautiful is it that you get to finish the sentence they left hanging, that you get to finish the pages they left empty, that you get to write the ending of the chapter. How beautiful is it that you get to turn the page and start a new chapter, a chapter that says, welcome home, I've been waiting for you. Hmm. That is beautiful. Thank you for reading that. And, you know, your this poem in particular reminds me of um, poets like, you know, David White and John O'Donohue and even Rumi. I mean, there's a lot of power in what you just shared. And and that makes me, you know, think, you know, what are some of the early influences that you had in terms of poets that you really admire? And, and how do you kind of see the craft itself? I'm curious to know what your thoughts are as it pertains to poetry and what it resembles and, you know, the the, the shape it takes and what it what it may move in you. You know, when I read poetry by, you know, the late Khalil Gibran or Nizar Qabbani, who are among my favorite poets, I feel like time is erased. It feels like that person is sitting with me and the sense of belonging that I feel when I read someone's words who belong to a different time, but it's literally the exact same thing I'm experiencing it's better than any kind of therapy session that you can get because it gives you that it's like, it's, it's a, it's a dose of, I understand. I know what you're going through. I've gone through it too. And it's fine. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope that my words offer people. Um, Yeah. That's, that's my hope because poetry is healing. Poetry is, and it doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to, poetry is a language of the soul. Poetry is you sitting with yourself and writing what you're feeling exactly as it is without fear, without barriers, without trying to perfect it. Just be real. Open mm. up to yourself the way that you actually are. Yeah, I really like that. You know, the way I kind of think about poetry and the way I kind of think about writing itself is, is a craft where we write and we share with others what we're feeling and what we're thinking is that in some sense, all writers pursue the craft to allow others and have others feel like they're not alone. Right. And now, um, Najwa, as we kind of come to a close, I'd love to ask you, if you could, how would you go about answering the question, what is your message for the world? Healing the world begins with healing yourself. And healing yourself begins with giving yourself permission to feel. So feel. Feel what you're going through. Give yourself permission to dive within and ask yourself, who am I? Am I okay with certain things? Am I, am I living my life according to the way that I believe I need to be living my life? Or am I living my life taking the, the steps that I believe I need to take to be a certain version of myself, to be loved once I reach that place? Like genuinely give yourself permission to learn who you are and to be authentic. Yeah. That's my message. That's great. Najwa, thank you for uh, your time today. Thank you for the work that you do. And uh, thank you for being the light in the darkness. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. 
Thank you for joining us on the Stories of Transformation podcast. This podcast is produced by Dana Drahos. Audio engineering by Joe Genjemi. Marketing by Catherine Ahn. Artwork by Mashida Hadi. And theme music by Kais Esor. If you love Stories of Transformation, you can help more people find us by leaving a review and sharing the episodes far and wide. We're grateful for all your support. And on behalf of the Stories of Transformation team, I'd like to say thank you. Okay, see you next time.